Good morning. How are you? It's, uh, it's good to remember the Lord's uh, death for our sins uh, and to do that by means of communion. It's an intimate time as we as believers can remember uh, what he has done to, to redeem us. Uh, to also understand what he's done this month as we prepare for Easter, we're looking at this, the last seven statements of Christ from the cross. Uh, and so today we're, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, if you'd like to turn there, uh, Christ's statement there uh, as he's on the cross as he speaks to the, the thieves uh, who are mocking him. Uh, let's pray as we come to the scriptures. Lord, it's a, it's a humbling thing to, to listen to your words, to analyze your words spoken before you laid your life down for our sin, and uh, we're humbled by what you said. Those are profound things, statements that you've made that uh, any human should stop and ponder and consider what this means to them as a person. And we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Uh, might someone either online or in our church today who doesn't know you come to terms with who you are and what you've done for them. And might we as your saints be encouraged uh, to share the message of the Christ from the cross with those about us uh, who need you. And may we be bold witnesses in Christ's name, amen. Uh, back in 2007, uh, one of my cousins uh, passed away. His name was Jimmy Bowers. And my dad, since I told you, had 10 sisters uh, and no brothers, I have lots of cousins. Uh, and because he had so many uh, siblings, and my dad was, you know, like three quarters of the way down the pecking order, uh, I had a lot of cousins that were really way older than me. Uh, so, like, when I was uh, probably like five years old, my cousin Jimmy was probably uh, in his 20s. Uh, because he was the son of my dad's oldest sister, the oldest sibling. Her name was Beatrice. Uh, we called her B, Aunt B. Um, godly woman, uh, married to my uncle, Alec. Um, and I never quite understood. In the, in the South, they pronounce things differently, do they not? Uh, because his name was A-L-E-X, but they pronounced it Dr. Ellick, uh, uh, Uncle Ellick. So I've not quite figured that out, but I thought Hebrew was hard. <laughs> Southern can be really hard. <sighs> but uh, they had a son. They only had one son. His name, his name was Jimmy. And so I grew up uh, as a little boy seeing Jimmy uh, as, a, as a man, uh, uh, and so I had a perception of him in my head of, you know, what Jimmy was like as a man. Uh, but when I became a man, and he was, you know, now a senior citizen, uh, I was in South Carolina seeing my dad's family, and um, they pulled out the, the family albums one day, one of my aunts did, and starts thumbing through pictures and, you know, telling us who's who, and you've probably done that. Uh, and as I'm thumbing through there, I, I see James Dean on one of the pictures. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, what's James Dean doing in the family album? I mean, this is amazing. Uh, and they said, well, that's not James Dean. I go, well, that's totally James Dean. I mean, same jeans, same shirt, same haircut, same jawline. That's James Dean. No, 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 that's, that's Jimmy. Huh? What do you mean that's Jimmy? Uh, because that's not the Jimmy that I knew. Uh, the Jiminy that I knew um, um, was, didn't look like that at all. Uh, his, his hard living had caught up with him. Uh, teeth were rotted out of his head, um, diseased, you know, gums, except periodontal, I'm sure, had issues. Uh, skin's all jacked up, uh, overweight, um, raspy voice from smoking, chain smoking for many, many years, uh, hard drinking. It all caught up with him. That's the Jimmy I knew. He was the, he was the cousin that was always in jail because he'd done something. 
And this is a godly family. And my dad's a federal agent. There was times when we went to South Carolina and my dad had to go down to the local jail to talk to the police officers there on maybe letting Jimmy out so he could see the family while my dad was there. I mean, that kind of thing. You ever have anybody in your family that's kind of like off the grid? You're like, where did they come from? And that was my cousin Jimmy. Um, he ran from God his whole life. Uh, my Aunt B, and they would share God, the gospel with him, take him to church as a young boy. Uh, but as he became a young man, he threw, he threw church to the wind. It had nothing to do with it. And if you tried to share the gospel of Christ with him, uh, he'd just laugh at you and, and change the subject to something else. Because he didn't want God bothering him in his life. Uh, when he became an older man, uh, he got cancer, and it started eating away at him. And uh, he realized that he was mortal and wasn't going to live forever. And it was about that time, an, an old country pastor, uh, not a super educated man, but a guy who understood the gospel of Christ, uh, went to talk to Jimmy one more time and asked Jimmy, Jimmy, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? He, he came to die for your sin. You know, you're a sinner. You know, you need a savior. Just look at your life. Uh, and to the shock of the entire family, uh, Jimmy, who had run from God his whole life, uh, I think it was three days before he died, trusted Christ. So one day I'll see him with teeth <laughs> uh, in a new body uh, when, when we are in heaven on that day. You know, because God specializes in taking Jimmy's and saving them. And I don't even look at it and think, God, I trusted Christ as a little boy and I've got to enjoy my faith all these years, and you saved him at the end of his life? Is that fair? You bet it is. There's always room for a sinner at the cross of Christ. And when you think about Jesus hanging on that cross, um, he's not up there alone, is he? Who's up there with him? You've read the story, correct? It's not your first Sunday in church, I didn't think. So there's two thieves on his left and his right, right? He's in the middle. He's the man in the middle. There's two thieves. There's two criminals. There's two jimmies. It's an amazing story when you think about how Jesus uh, interacts with those two men because uh, they're listening to Christ, and he's like no man they've ever heard before because they come from a criminal world. Um, they hear Christ forgive the crucifixion de detail for gambling away his clothes. Are you kidding me? He's forgiving them. Uh, they sat there and they listened to uh, uh, the criminals did to all of the religious people who can be most mean, hurling insults at Jesus. Uh, Luke 23, which is the chapter we're going to look at, they were, they were yelling and mocking at Christ. He saved others. Uh, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. They were laughing and snarling at him because if he's really the Christ, he wouldn't be on the cross. Even the soldiers uh, that he forgave uh, jumped in on the bandwagon. It's kind of interesting uh, when somebody starts mocking a Christian, making fun of a Christian, it's interesting how quickly others will join in. They all of a sudden feel brave. Uh, it says in uh, Luke 23, verse 70, the 37, uh, that uh, the soldiers of the crucifixion detail joined in with the others and said, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, uh, save yourself. Well, he was the king of the Jews and he could have saved himself. I mean, we know he could have called legions of angels. There's 6,000 soldiers in a Roman legion. He could have called 6,000 angels, 10,000, 10, 12,000. He could have called several legions of angels, but he didn't. Why? Because if he called the angels to get him off the cross, he would have never fulfilled his redemptive activity, and we'd be lost in our sin. Aren't you glad he stayed there? And they're mocking him. They're mocking him. 
It says in Luke 23, verse 39, one of the criminals uh, who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? If so, save yourself and us. Uh, this is where the Greek text, which is the New Testament is written in Greek, comes in handy uh, because when it says they were hurling, this, this convict, this criminal was hurling insults at Christ, uh, it's an imperfect particular kind of verb, which means he was perpetually doing this over and over and over. Could you imagine you're hanging on a cross, you're facing your own mortality, and you, you're so evil, you can look at a man who's evidencing grace to those who are crucifying you, and you're hurling insults at him as you head off into eternity. The heart is deceitfully wicked, is it not? As Jeremiah said. It's very interesting when you study uh, Christ's response to these criminals who are hurling abuse at him. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, and they're both yelling at, both criminals are both yelling at Jesus. Uh, something happened to one of them. It says in verse 23, verse 40, uh, as the one criminal was hurling abuse at Christ, it says, the other answered and rebuked him. Imagine, they're both mocking Christ, and then all of a sudden, the one guy stops, doesn't do that anymore. And then the next thing out of his mouth is he rebukes the other criminal. He says to him, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man in the middle, this man, he's done nothing wrong. And basically we, we both know it. He's basically saying uh, all of our life of criminal activity is now coming to an end uh, because we're about to meet God. And aren't you fearing the God you're going to go meet face to face? This, guy, this, this man says, I am. And he says, well, how can you hurl insults anymore at the man in the middle because he's innocent? This causes you to ask some questions. How in the world did the one thief, let's say he's the guy on the Christ left. Let's just say that man, whatever his, they're, and they're nameless too. Oh, only known to God, but, but how did he get to that point where he realized that Jesus was innocent? It's very interesting because uh, Jerusalem wasn't that big of a place, uh, and I'm sure news traveled fast as it does in any small town, does it not? I mean, yeah, my dad's little hometown, it's amazing. You don't even, I told my aunts there, you don't even need telephones. You really don't. Because everybody's at the dollar store, or at the washing, you know what I'm saying? And they just all talk. It's amazing how fast the word travels. So do you think when Jesus was a little boy, probably about 12 years old, his parents take him to Jerusalem, uh, and he's in the, he's, you know, he's in the temple precincts uh, entertaining the, the finest minds of the time, people with basically PhDs in the Torah, and he's at 12 engaging them in theological discussion. And they do not know how to answer his questions. And then where is he getting all this information? And if they want to discuss a given passage in the Torah or the prophets, he can quote it. How old was he? Probably 12. How smart is your 12-year-older? You know, I had a dad here one time. He told me, he goes, I didn't even know my son. He's super smart. He asked me all kinds of philosophical questions. And I don't even, I, can you meet us for, for like an ice cream cone at Dairy Queen? hey, I'm for that. I mean, God can use ice cream to advance things, you know, I'm sure. Uh, and so I, so I went to Dairy Queen and I'm like, how old is your son? He's 12. Really? Wow, the kid pushed me intellectually. He's a smart little 12-year-old. We have some interesting children here. 
very gifted in their understanding of God. He asked me all kinds of deep theological, philosophical questions. We had a wonderful time uh, having ice cream and studying theology. But could you imagine if you're sitting engaging God? That, I mean, imagine the rabbis are like, how does, he, how does he know this? This is impossible. He's quoting these verses. I quoted this verse. He quoted the whole chapter. He's 12. He's from where? Uh, well, you know, Galilee. What city? Uh, well, Nazareth. What's his dad do? Is he an intellectual? Uh, no. He's kind of blue collar or blue tunic, whatever. <laughs> yeah. My point is this. I mean, if you're wondering, was Marty on a rabbit trail? I never go on a rabbit trail. See, I think that someone like that criminal who's in Jerusalem doing street crime, he would have heard about Jesus. I mean, think about this. On another occasion, Jesus uh, cl cleansed, he starts his uh, ministry in John chapter 2 by cleansing the temple with a whip and drives out the money changers who are making money off of God and says, my father's house shall not be a, a house of thieves. It shall be a house of prayer. And he drives them out. Don't you know that word passed around town? Why is everybody running from the temple? There's some crazy guy in there. He's got a whip. He's driving everybody out. What's his name? Jesus. What's the issue? Well, you know, everybody's ripping off everybody in there. He said, it's enough of that. You know, it only takes one courageous person to turn things around. That's what Jesus did. Don't you know everybody in town knew about that? Uh, when I go to Israel, I'll take people to the Pool of Bethesda. It's a great place to go. You can look down at the pool, see, see what happened there, uh, where it was located. Uh, John chapter 5, what Jesus did there. Well, he gave a man who had no ability to walk new legs there. Imagine that, a guy that everybody knew could not walk because he's paralyzed. Everybody knew that guy's name and what Jesus do. Well, you need to rise up from your bed and walk. I'm God, I'm giving you new legs. Unbelievable. See, I would submit to you that that thief had either heard Jesus or he knew about Jesus. Remember in John chapter eight, great discussion where Jesus is taking on the, the Pharisaical class who think they are all that in a bag of chips. And that's where they ask him, who are you? He tells them, doesn't he? Well, I, before Abraham was, I'm the I am. What'd they try to do? Well, they tried to stone him after that because he just, in their mind, blasphemed. But he was, he was the I am. See, I think all of that information was either heard or known by this particular criminal for him to be able to look at Jesus on the cross and say, hey, you and I both know that he's innocent. He's innocent because he was innocent. When it says that he's done no wrongness, uh, the word for wrong, atapon in uh, Greek means moral wrongness. They couldn't see any because he had none. Maybe that's your story. Uh, all throughout your life, you like Jimmy, had godly parents like my Aunt B, my Uncle Alec, and they took you to church, took you to Sunday school. You learned stories about Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, rebuking the wind and the sea, you know, healing the lame man, healing the blind man, raising his friend Lazarus from the grave. You, you know these stories, but, but they're not your stories. You just know about them. But you threw God away a long time ago like Jimmy did. And now God's uh, sent some uh, events into your life to cause you to look at your life. Uh, he's uh, shaking your world. That's a good thing because he's causing you to stop and look at the man on the cross, the middle man. Verse 42, the, the, the thief uh, who made that amazing statement says this to Jesus. Jesus, I, ju I just have one request. What's his request? Would you remember me? You remember 
Would you remember me? Notice he didn't throw his name in there. Why didn't he? Because if that's God, doesn't he ipso facto know your name? Right? Does some angel have to come over and go, that's Yehuda? <laughs> no. Didn't have to, right? He says, you know me, Lord. Would you, would you remember me? Notice the temporal marker. When? When what? When you come in your kingdom. He doesn't say that he knows that kingdom's coming in a 1,000 years, 10,000 years. But when that kingdom of the Messiah comes, would you remember my name? Don't, don't you think that's the most important thing, that when you step into eternity, that God remembers your name? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, because you're his child. Would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? How in the world did he make a theological, eschatological statement? He's a criminal. Well, Two things. Number one, he obviously believed in the resurrection of the body because he says, when you come in your kingdom, remember to resurrect me so I can be part of the kingdom. He, where did he get that? Well, there's not many places in the Old Testament you can go, but I submit to you one of them is Daniel 12, which says this, Daniel speaking. Many of those who sleep in the dust, which is a euphemism for death, uh, of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. You're going to go to one of two places. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead uh, the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You're going to be one of two locations. Where are you going? He says there's going to be a resurrection day. I would submit to you that this criminal, even though he led a life that was uh, totally wicked, he had to know texts like this to know a resurrection day is coming because he says when you come. He's assuming that you can resurrect me. Number two, he expressed a firm belief that Jesus was the Messiah because he says, when you come in your kingdom, your ki what kingdom? Well, to a Jew, that's only one kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom. And that kingdom was prophesied to come and it is still in a point of coming. In fact, we're talking about it on Sunday nights at 6.30 when we study Revelation. Um, that kingdom is coming, the Messiah's kingdom. Remember, because we pray the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the next part? Thy kingdom come. What kingdom is that? The Messiah's kingdom. Boy, doesn't it need to come today? Maybe like by noon? <laughs> Please, Lord, send your kingdom. But see, I mean, but he knew all this stuff because Isaiah chapter 2 prophesied the Messiah would come and build Jerusalem as his headquarters and the nations would come and worship the Messiah in Jerusalem. Um, Jeremiah 23 prophesies that one day out of the stump of the destroyed nation of Israel, Judah, uh, that the Babylonians destroyed in 586 B.C., from that stump would arise a branch. A shoot would come out of what looked like a dead stump, and the branch would be the Messiah, who would be called the Lord our righteousness. They were looking for him to come. Uh, Ezekiel 34 prophesied that one day a divine shepherd would come and shepherd his people like no shepherd had ever shepherded Israel. They're, they were looking for him. Daniel chapter 2, verses, uh, well, 44 and 45, some of my favorite ones. Uh, God says to, uh, well, to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, all of the earthly empires will all fall one day because the stone, the Messiah, Jesus, will strike at the feet of all worldly political, geopolitical systems and destroy them and set up his kingdom of peace. And we think we can vote all this stuff in. I <laughs> uh, know you can't. Because perfection only comes when the Messiah shows up. See, this criminal knew this stuff that the king was coming. And he says, when you come in your kingdom, what kingdom? The Messiah's kingdom. 
Maybe uh, your parents, your grandmother, your brother, an uncle, maybe they told you about the king and the kingdom, but you just laughed it all the way off through college and beyond. But then now God's sent an event in your life that has got your attention. That's what happened to, uh, to Jimmy. That's what happened to the one thief on the cross. He has uh, one request from Jesus. It's most interesting after, will you remember me? Uh, he's, he said, God, remember when you come in your kingdom, and Jesus is going to take that request that he asked and say something totally unbelievable. Notice what he says in verse 43 to the, to the criminal. He says to him, truly I say to you, or in the Greek vernacular, if anything is true, this following statement is absolutely true. Today, you're going to be with me. Where? Paradise. Paradise. This is an amazing statement. Jesus is dying on the cross, and the thing is, he always has time for a sinner. Isn't that amazing? He, he always has room for you. He looks at that man and says, oh, you're asking me to allow you to be in the kingdom because I'm the Messiah? I'll do one better. Today, I mean, by 3 p.m., when we're both dead, we're both going to walk up walking in heaven it's going to be a today thing, not in a thousand years. There's no soul sleep. It's not going to, you're not going to get stuck in purgatory. You're going to die and go right to heaven. People ask me all the time, because I've been with a lot of people when they die. What happens when that saint dies? They wake up where? Instantly where? Heaven. Heaven. It says today, today. I had to submit to you if uh, you're the Jimmy type runner from God and God's now got your attention, are you ready for your today? If God comes for you, he says, you shall be, I love this part. Don't you love prepositional phrases? <laughs> You'll be with who? Me. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Isn't, I mean, I've had high school students ask me when I was a high school pastor, what are we going to do there all day? Sounds boring. <laughs> I've had them ask, kids can ask you some most amazing questions, huh? <laughs> Try being a youth pastor, you know? And I've thought about that. And it's like, wouldn't it be enough just to be with Jesus for like 10,000 years and never let him move away from you just to see him? I mean, the nail scars, to talk to him, to pick his brain. I mean, he says, you're going to be with, not only are you going to be there, you're going to be with me. I mean, he says, you're a criminal, but, but no, if you're my child, no, you're going to be in a place of intimacy. And you're going to be where? What's he call it? Paradise. Paradise. Uh, the Greek word paradidos, uh, it's interesting. I was reading through that text one day in my Greek, Greek Bible. Uh, paradidos uh, means trees. I grew up in the desert where you had to kind of drive to find a tree. You know, but here it's like, they're everywhere. Because what, what is heaven? Well, he says it's uh, paradise. Paradise is trees. It's like a park. You ever been in a beautiful park? I mean, something that has better turf than you could ever dream of, flowers that actually the bulbs bloom and everything. I mean, here's some pictures uh, that uh, Pastor Michael sent me uh, of a, of a uh, uh, Koikenhof, uh, beautiful park uh, known for their tulips. Is this your front yard? <laughs> now, Pastor Michael probably won't tell you this. He sent me all these pictures. Uh, I think he, he works sometimes at the church, and the rest of the time he plants tulips in his front yard. I mean, Michael, I think he's in this service. I mean, what have you got, like 800 tulips in your front yard? He has 1,000, 1,000. So this could be Michael's yard. But I mean, when you think about 
paradise, isn't that kind of what you think about? I mean, he sent me these pictures and he said, Marty, as a, as a landscaper, you're going to enjoy this. And he sent me a whole bunch of them and I started looking at them. And this screen doesn't even do it justice. I mean, it's even better on your computer. It's just the vibrancy. I mean, could you imagine walking in the perfect turf? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No spotted spurge, no milkweeds, no clover, perfect turf. The curse is gone. The flowers are amazing. The smells are amazing. It's beautiful. And you're with who? Jesus. 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 Here's another picture. Where's that? And it's Hawaii. I thought it, I thought it was Woodbridge, but no. <laughs> no, it's Hawaii. Yeah, Liz and I, when we lived in California, you know, all 50 years, uh, it was easy to hop over to Hawaii. So uh, we went to the dental convention because she's in dentistry. And so we went over to the dental convention to Oahu. And then we jumped on a plane to Oahu, or from Oahu to Maui and spent a week there. And we rented a car one day and went driving, I mean, windy road to get to this black beach black sand. Have you, has anybody been there? Oh gosh. Wasn't it awesome? I mean, we hiked in there and it, you, you, whoa, there it was. And you hike down to the beach. You're like, this is like sand. Like I've never seen this. This is unbelievable. You could see 30, 40 feet down into the water. There were sea turtles swimming around. Like this is amazing. And I told Liz, and this has got the curse on it. I said, imagine when there's no curse. Imagine that, and we have perfect bodies. And you can get in the water and you're not going to get eaten by a shark. You know, I didn't even get in the water here. Uh-uh. But imagine paradise. Jesus says, if you know me as Savior, when you draw your last breath, you wake up where? Well, in a place way beyond that, paradise. The guy asked uh, for just the Jesus to remember him, and Jesus says, well, I'll do one better. Uh, I'll not only remember you, but it's going to start today. You're going to be walking with me among the trees in the beauty. What will heaven be like? Well, we're giving snapshots here and there. Uh, Revelation 22, which we're studying Revelation right now. So I think we're in chapter 3 tonight at 630. Uh, so it's going to take us a while to get to chapter 22. As you know how it is with me. Um, Notice what he says in Revelation 22 at the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation. says, then he showed me a river of water of life, crystal clear, coming from the throne of God imagine, and of the Lamb. Imagine, from the throne of God is issuing forth this mighty river that's just clear, beautiful water. And it was going down the middle of the street in heaven. On either side of the river was the tree of life that started uh, in, you know, you, you saw the one in the Garden of Eden, but not, this is the real one, the tree of life. It was uh, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will be no longer any what? No curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants, that's believers, will serve him. And they'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know how you feel about being identified. I don't think it's a tattoo. There's some kind of divine mark where Jesus says, for all eternity, you're mine. Unbelievable. There will no longer be any night, and they will not have to need of the lamp of a light, nor the light of the sun. Why? Well, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. No night there. No time there. You never get tired there. You never go to sleep there. Imagine, imagine what 
you could get done if you never had to go to bed. I mean, I think about it all the time. Imagine the conversations that you can have. Well, I just need to talk to Elijah just a little bit more. You've been talking to him for a thousand years. It's okay. Let it go. There's no night. Why? Because Jesus is the light. Why? He's the Shekinah glory. See, the sun above your head and its brightness is just a faint illustration of his brightness. And he says he'll illuminate us. We're going to be glowing. Light everywhere. Unbelievable. No time change either. <laughs> Think of all those Christians that are still home right now wondering what happened. Was it the rapture? Where is everyone? Paradise. Paradise. You know, the Bible's interesting. It opens with men in a garden. And it closes with believers in a garden. You going to be in that garden? Enjoying the heaven? What's holding you back from being there? Because one thief said, basically, through his actions, I will have no part of Christ. The other man said, I know exactly who he is. And I want him to be my savior. What's holding you back? Years ago, my cousin Jimmy uh, came to terms with Christ and realized that at the cross of Christ, there was room for one more person, and that was Jimmy Bowers, the godless man uh, who now has run into a, another criminal because now they know each other because they both believed in the Messiah. There's an old hymn uh, called, uh, There's Room at the Cross for You. And it's an old hymn. We don't sing it anymore, but we, sh we should listen to it. The words are most profound. Because when I heard it as a kid, I knew it spoke to me because God was telling me, there's room for you. There's room for you. There's room, the cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. It's grace and it's free. It's sufficient for me. It's deep. It's a deep fountain. Wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for how much? Just one more person. Uh, we're going to do an altar call today. We've never done two back-to-back. -back. Uh, why are we doing that? Well, because so much is at stake for the Jimmy types. Because God's saying to you, yeah, there's room for you. Don't let the devil tell you. Likewise, there's room for you. I, I ran into uh, to this uh, song sung by a tenor that I had never heard before. Uh, and it's just, it's a moving thing. It's about two minutes and 40 seconds long. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stand over here. And if you are the Jimmy who says, I just, I want to come to Christ today. Um, there's room at the cross for you. And uh, if you want to sing this old song while he's singing, feel right, go right ahead. And if it's too emotional to even sing it, I can understand that. I let it minister to you. But if God's working on your heart right now, today's the day to be the thief who says, remember me. And God will remember you. And I'll pray for you this morning. So I'm going to stand over here. Uh, and we're going to listen to a beautiful number. And I think I forgot my mask, so can you forgive me? I, thank you. The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And it's great so free is sufficient for me and deep is its fountain and 
That is a profound song. When I came across that the other day at my desk, uh, I'm not a crier kind of person. Uh, I could not hardly watch it. Whew, too powerful. Because it's you, your name. There's room at the cross for, stick your name in there, me. So hopefully you had the courage. Uh, if you didn't know the Christ, you don't have to come see me. You just need to see Jesus. And say, Lord, there's room for me. You, and maybe you're even online. Uh, he can save you online. You just need to come to him and say, God, I need mercy. And he will grant you mercy for your whole lifetime, as the young lady did today. She came last week to say, pray for me. She came this week to come to know Jesus. And uh, sure, yeah, it's amazing. So we praise God uh, for people that listen to him. And uh, if you're a Christian... Um, in the world in which we live, the complexity of D.C., everybody's all worried about this and that. They should really only be worrying about one thing. Where do they stand in relationship to Christ? There's room for even them. And you as a saint should be delivering the gospel goods to them to say, but do you know Jesus? Hope you have a wonderful day. Let me pray for you as we leave. Father, thank you just for the simplicity of your statements. Uh, shortened sentences, but profound words that echo in eternity words that can redeem even the lost. Uh, thank you for just the power of the cross of Christ to redeem us, to save us, and may we be a church that holds forth the light of the glorious gospel 
And may we reap many for the kingdom of God because we're faithful to the gospel. And we pray for all those who are either online or in our church that didn't make a decision today. You're working on them because uh, you love them and you'll lead them to yourself. And we thank you for this one to come today to say that she wants to know you as Savior. Um, might you answer her questions, uh, guard her life, build your wisdom into her, and let her know that she is indeed your child. In Jesus' name, amen.